Good morning. This morning's scripture reading is from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 3, verses 13 through to 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he, went, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is God's word. Since the beginning of time, mankind has spent most of his existence, much of his existence, trying to, to prove itself. Uh, job interviews, we will provide any degree, right? Any, any kind of experience, any kind of certification, even a couple of excuses to prove ourselves. What is dating but trying to prove ourselves as a worthy spouse, right? It, if any of you have ever showed up at a family event, or maybe it's a class reunion, and what do you do for the first few minutes talking with people? You think through ways that you try to prove that your life has been worthwhile. We try to prove those things we care about the most. Right? That, that CrossFit will make my body look better on the outside. That a Whole30 diet will make me and my body be better on the inside. And that pets are surely human. Because all these things matter to us. We will spend time making the case to other people that these things are worthwhile. And when we try to prove ourselves because we know that people generally seek proof in the form of, of scientific evidence, sociological surveys, but increasingly more, we see people trying to get proof via the testimony of personal witness. The testimony of a personal witness. So for example, how many of you guys have visited a message board this year when you weren't feeling so well and you wanted to figure out what was wrong with you? How many of you guys clicked on a message board or on WebMD, you looked at the comments? How many of you guys sort of scrolled through reviews when figuring out what restaurant to go to or which brand to buy for something? Why is that? Because we want to hear the testimony of personal experiences. And throughout history, mankind has always cycled back to the testimony of witnesses as necessary proof to sort of clinch any kind of decision that we have. And Jesus was no exception to this need to prove oneself. He sought to prove himself as God's son, his father's son. In the Jewish context, the superior way to produce proof that trumped every other kind of proof that you could produce was, in fact, the testimony of personal witnesses. So, for example, if you read in God's law about deciding cases that went to court or went before, basically, judges to decide a case, Deuteronomy 19.5 says this, A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime, or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. Deuteronomy 19.15. And that makes sense, right? Because they were never going to dredge up the Jordan River to find something that was thrown away, the weapon. Right? There was no forensic evidence. You had no CSI Jerusalem at this time. You had people. And people who were willing to come forward and say, yeah, I saw this person do this. And that was the proof needed. 
And that continued this idea of producing proof through the testimony of personal witnesses through the New Testament. So if someone wrongs you in the church or someone hurts you in the church, Jesus says to go to that person privately, explain what they've done wrong, and see if you can reconcile with your brother. But if that doesn't work, Matthew 18, 16 said, if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, listen, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So this moment we read about this morning, this moment of Jesus' baptism is a seminal moment in his life. Jesus is about to go to battle for 40 days against the devil. He has his whole ministry in front of him ahead of that. And so we hear testimonies that Jesus is in fact God's son, the son of his heavenly father. We hear it first for John the Baptist, the first prophet on the scene in 400 years. But also, Jesus gets a testimony from the father himself. And it's so important, right? Not only because of this temptation Jesus is about to endure for 40 days, but his whole life being in front of him, this whole ministry of mostly opposition. So his father shows up at this critical time in his life, and he provides the key witness that this Nazarene, this man, is in fact his son. And in doing so, provides us the perfect example of fatherhood done well. There are six lessons in Jesus' baptism that we can glean from, a fatherhood done well. One, we see that the father is there. His father is there. Two, his father makes his presence known. Three, his father makes his presence felt. His father identifies with him. His father expresses his love for him. And finally, his father expresses his pleasure in him. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. Because we earthly fathers, those of you who are dads, are designed to model to your children, our Heavenly Father. We are the first model for our kids. Whether that's for good or for ill, we're going to be that first model. So we would do well to listen to to six lessons of the perfect relationship between a father and a son. And for those of you who are not dads, like we talked about last week, you know fathers. You can praise some of these principles into those fathers' lives. And for some of you also here, You are investing in the life of someone you love, someone you care about. You're making a spiritual investment in their life. And like the Apostle Paul talks about, in a way, you are a kind of spiritual parent to someone, I hope, in your life. So you can glean these principles as well. So let's get to work this morning. First of all, lesson one, we see that his father is there. His father is there. In fact, the first three lessons we're going to look at this morning all have to do with the father just showing up. A dad just showing up. And therein lies one of the great difficulties as a father, right? As a dad, men especially, you feel a weight, a weight on you to provide for your family. To provide leadership, but especially to provide food, to provide clothing, to provide shelter, to provide basic necessities for your family. So with each beautiful birth, you have flashed before you a two-year-old who's going to need like a mountain of diapers. You have flashed before you a six-year-old Heading off to a school that's going to charge tuition resembling something like a university for many of you. I feel that weight constantly. You have a 12-year-old who seems to eat his body weight. You're going to have a teenager who's going to ask for whatever the latest technological means of communication is just to ask a simple question to their friend. And you're going to be expected to provide it or at least asked about it. I don't know what that's going to be next. Like what, what, it's going to be like a hand phone next. Right? You're just going to speak into your hand and be like, beep, boop, beep, bop. $300 to get some installation in there, and all of a sudden your child's going to want it. 
And that's the tension in the father's life, isn't it? That tension between how can I be there for my child, but also meet the demands of providing. Every father faces this. And the good news, men, is that you are not the only father to your family. You are not the only father to your family. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, you can probably just turn one page over, but it'll be up here on the screen. Verses 25 through 26, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And are not you of more value than they? What I think is interesting is there's lots of of yous here, but it's left off at a key part where Jesus asks the question, is not life more important than food? Whenever I've read that, is not life more important than food? I thought, well, Jesus is talking about my life. But it's bigger than that, right? He doesn't say, he leaves off that your idea. He says, is not life more important than food? Any life more important than searching out what you need to put on the table? And fathers, you have a life, a life beyond yourself, a life that shows up every morning for you, sometimes wakes you up out of bed, sometimes jumps on you, sometimes says things you can't believe they just said. But we are called fathers to show up to that life, the life that the Father's entrusted to you. And don't feel bad if you're the only dad. Don't feel bad, (laughs) so bad that I tried to rhyme that, don't feel bad if you are the only dad. To show up. That's going to happen sometimes in the society we live in. If you begin to show up in your child's life, you'll sometimes notice that you might be the only father there. And that might make you feel strange, out of place, maybe guilty or even sheepish about it. I remember a few years ago, uh, Mason, our oldest son, asking me to be his show and tell for his class, which is like a huge honor and also a lot of pressure. Like, what am I going to do? Card tricks? Handstands? I mean, I don't, I don't really have much talent. Read from the Bible, right? One of those things, I don't know. But I asked Mason if he would, uh, you know, if you've ever seen another dad come to show and tell. He said, no, we don't really have actually seen any other dads. And so I felt compelled to ask his teacher to contact her and explain, like, look, Mason's asked me to come in, show and tell, but I want to be sensitive. I know, like, maybe other people's dads aren't quite, aren't really involved. I just want, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. But I went, and it was a great time. And a couple days later, I learned an important lesson. That time, Katie and the boys would join me at Georgetown Primary School, which is our, our outreach. We do an outreach there for at-risk children. And as we came in that day, I remember I, I had Gage on my shoulders, and I'm coming in with the boys, you know, like kind of playing around, laughing, whatever. And as I walked in, and we sat down, I noticed every, almost every child in the room looking at my boys sort of hanging on me sort of hugging on me. And I realized in that moment, wow, for so many of these kids, this does not happen. This moment is void in their lives. They, they weren't all, but just a dad showing up to be with his kids. Nothing special, but they need to see that. So even if their father never shows up, they need to catch a vision that true fatherhood is possible maybe one day for them or for their families. Or by having a relationship with their Heavenly Father. They need that. So don't feel bad when you're the only dad to show up, dads. Because other kids need that vision in their life. They need to catch that and see that it is a hope, it is a possibility for them. 
We should encourage you also, all of you who are not fathers, right, that you can still emulate being a father like the Apostle Paul said to Titus, right? You're my true child in the faith. Just by showing up in a young person's life, you can emulate your heavenly father. So lesson number one, the father's there. He shows up. Lesson number two, the father makes his presence known by speaking, right? He makes his presence known. And dads, you guys exercise a life-shaping influence in your children by what you say. I remember a friend of mine uh, who's involved in some prison ministry telling me once that he asked, he, asking all these inmates, did your father ever tell you that you'd end up in prison? And he'd ask because he started to notice a trend, so he kept on asking that question. Did your father ever tell you you end up in prison? And he explained that most of the inmates, he asked this, replied that their dad communicated that prison was somewhere in their future. That, that your, your destiny is not a good destiny. What happened, right? It was a self-fulfilling prophecy. It was actually, I shouldn't say self, it was a father-fulfilling prophecy. But that's the kind of power that a dad has in speaking into his child's life. In this case, for ill. For good, I want to encourage you, call out the gold in your child's life. Call out the gold in your child's life. Just this week, I was having lunch with a friend who grew up uh, for a significant period of his of his life without a dad and it was difficult for him and he shared though how one time this other father of a friend of his just said something to him very simple but said look like I see you as a person who gets a job done but when he puts his hand to something he finishes the work and perseveres and doesn't finish until that work is done and I just wonder maybe maybe the normal course after high school isn't the course for you and th- those words led him to rethink his life, rethink his future, and this ultimately shaped his future. You can have that kind of impact in a child's life. All kids, really, guys, are mixtures of both impurities and precious metals. Both. And I think as a dad, a lot of times, it's easy in the moment to like focus on that impurity, focus on that thing that's kind of wrong with my child. Yes, when we're on an airplane or we're someone else, we look back, we think fondly of our kids. But in that moment, we're going to say, why do you do that? But the influence a father can have is calling out that gold, not the impurity. But a father has a refining kind of voice in a child's life to call forth what is good in him or her and have a profound influence. Lesson number three, Jesus' father makes his presence felt. His Father makes His presence felt, right? Through His Spirit. So we see in verse 16, He saw the Spirit descending and come to rest on Him. So He saw it. He felt the sense of rest upon Him. Jesus' senses were all immediately engaged by His Father at that moment, right? There's a sense in which everything is alive because the Father meant to sort of activate those senses, to engage those senses with His child. Here's a few ways, dads, you can make your presence felt. With your child. Number one, by demonstrating partnership. Demonstrating partnership. I once heard a, a talk from a, a professional American football player who was retired at that point when I heard him. And he was speaking about the most important job of his life, which is to be a dad. And he was saying that his dad had, his dad had died prior to birth. Uh, kind of died a pretty heroic death, actually. But he had a stepdad who was in the Navy, the American Navy, who instilled a lot of structure in his life and was intentional enough with him to ask questions like, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? 
and where do you see yourself in 10 years? To, to ask about his future and what the child dreamt for his future. The son, whose name is Ed, Ed McGlasson, if you want to look it up, Ed McGlasson, he immediately replied, I want to be a professional football player. And, and the stepdad said, man, great. It is now time then to build a ladder to your dreams, one rung at a time. Let's build that ladder together, build a plan together. So the first step was he would drop his son four miles from the house, tie ankle weights around his ankles, and, and drive home. But he said, <laughs> but he said as his son, before his son ran home, in that agonizing heat, no doubt, he said, I'm going to go home and prepare breakfast for you. What do you want? And he would make what his son wanted. Right? That is true partnership, right? To challenge a child, but also support them, undergird them with what they need. Asking them, what, 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 what would help you? Your, your child is not, probably not too young to start asking that question. Maybe they are in some cases. But five, six, seven years old, what can I do to help you? What can I do to partner with you so that you meet those goals you have in your life? Because we read the Bible every night in our family, uh, we're constantly talking about like, the good news about Jesus, because the whole Bible points to Jesus, right? And so we're constantly praying for God to give us strength to share the good news about Jesus with our buddies, with our friends. And my oldest son has usually struggled with fear, especially fear of speaking up to other people. And at an early age, I remember God sort of saying to me, my son was still young, that he needs to see you, Ryan, praying about reaching other people for Christ and actually acting that out, like doing that in front of him. It was a challenge, but I remember, like, I need to step forward in this. So, so at games, you know, now, whether it be in our backyard or now on our, on our road where we're playing basketball, shooting hoops, at school, and especially with his buddies, let's, let's talk about Jesus. You ever hear about him? You ever, you ever think about him? Or would you guys go to church? Did your family go to church? Just ways to start conversations about that. I want my kids to feel that partnership, to feel the sense that I'm on your team. I'm with you in this. And dads, I hope you feel that as well. That's one way. A second way you can make your presence felt is by praying a Godward purpose into their life. When my kids leave for school or I leave for work, I want my boys to feel what I have communicated. And the way that's going to happen throughout their day is through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, I believe, is faithful to reinforce truth. Truth we find in the Bible with with little reminders or or little opportunities or other people communicating the same thing that we maybe Katie and I communicated to them. The Holy Spirit can do that. So I want to encourage you fathers, pick up your Bible this week and pay attention to a verse or a couple verses that you may want to pray over your child, pray into their lives. Write it on a note card. Begin to pray it into their life. That can have just a powerful effect. You'll see that God starts to bring up those little reminders to your kid as they go to school, or little reminders when they're on a play date, or someone else might reinforce the same truth in their life. Another way you can make your presence felt is by showing up when you can't show up. I know a lot of you dads have Busy, busy schedules. You've got to be somewhere. Your boss asks you to be somewhere. You've got to travel somewhere. And it's just a reality of life. So I want to encourage you, plan ahead. Leave a surprise, a note, a gift, even a video for your child. Especially when our kids were younger, I used to make these videos of, of me reading books to them while I was away. All right? And I, I used these like really absurd voices 
these cartoon voices, which did not sound like the actual cartoons to which they corresponded. It, w- it was really embarrassing, and I hope those never surface. But Katie would replay these, and, and our youngest especially, Gage, at that time, he would, just, he would actually talk back to the screen, which if you know Gage, probably doesn't surprise He's a communicator. And he would talk back to the screen, and Katie would just have to replay it over and over. You want to talk to Dad? You want to talk to Dad? But I, I think through that, I, I tried to make my presence felt. Rick Husband is a man I want to tell you a little bit about. I don't know if you recall in 2003 the space shuttle, uh, U.S. space shuttle Columbia, which was infamous for tragically disintegrating uh, during its high-speed reentry into the Earth's atmosphere. It's just absolutely tragic. And the commander of that ship was a man named Rick Husband. He was a father to two children, and he deeply loved Jesus. Before he launched into space for 18 days, he made 36 videos for his kids, 18 for his son, 18 for his daughter. Because he said, I'll be gone for 18 days, but I want to lead you in family worship every night. He said in a videotaped interview shown in his memorial service, said this, if I end up at the end of my life having been an astronaut, but having sacrificed my family along the way, or living my life in a way that did not glorify God, having been an astronaut, and well, we're now, wouldn't have really meant anything at all. Can you imagine how precious those 18 videos are still to each of his children? That's a father who, though absent, still makes his presence felt. Because he was intentional about it. Make your presence felt, dads. Lesson number four, Jesus' father identifies with him. He says in verse 17, this is my son, This is my son. And of course, for any of you who decide to trust in Jesus, you are welcomed into the Father's family. The Father immediately identifies with you. John 1, 12 says, Yet to all who receive Jesus, those who believe and trust in him, he gives the right to become children of God. You become your father's son, your father's daughter. Romans 8, 16 puts it this way, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are, those who trust Jesus, are children of God. It's not when you're born, unlike certain like Michael Jackson songs and things like that, we're not all children of God simply when we're born. It's when you trust Jesus, the Father says, you're mine, you're mine, you're mine. How can we identify with our kids in such a way that they're going to say, Man, I know, I know I'm my father's daughter. I know I'm my father's son. And I can rest in that. Fathers of daughters, let me encourage you to date your daughters. And before that sounds weird, that can sound kind of creepy, weird, whatever. The best dads of daughters that I know pursue those daughters. They show those daughters how a woman should be treated and cherished until the day you pass that role on to another man. Saturday breakfast, uh, daddy-daughter ice cream, a, a movie once a quarter. Whatever it might be, do it and then tell them why you're doing it. Show them that they belong to someone until the day you give them away. But until then, you are my child, and I love you. Make it mean something. Fathers of sons, one of the things I've found out because I have sons is writing out age-relevant memories, sharing them with your son. My sons love to hear, they love it when I, when I talk about what I did at their age. All right, Not in a get-off-my-lawn sort of way, like, oh, my, when I was your age, you know, like that, that kind of way. Not a curmudgeon way, but like, hey, can I just tell you guys about this? They love it. Or, Dad, what, did you do this when you were a kid? 
And so one of the ways I felt to connect with them is, is writing those down and then replicating that with them, even doing those things with them. Identify with your boys. Let them know that you are thinking about where they're at in their lives. So lesson number four, identify with your child. Lesson number five, Jesus' father expresses his love for him, right? Verse 17, my beloved son. And there are two main avenues to do this, right? To tell your child you love him, to show him you love him. And there's no excuse for telling, not telling your child every day you see them, I, I love you. I love you. Some of you dads, you need to let down your pride about that. You need to hug your child. You need to tell them you love them. Then you've got to show your child you love them. How do you do that? You love your wife. Not only do you do that, you love your wife. By loving your wife, by being tender with her, you show your boys that you honor a woman and provide an example for them someday. By showing tender affection to your wife and kindness and gentleness, you show daughters that they can be secure also. It imparts a sense of security. When they see you loving mom, they feel a sense of, I'm secure. My dad cares about my family. That's important to them. You show your child you love them by listening to them. Listen, I don't know half the things my children are talking about when they start the first two or three sentences. YouTube quotes, movies I haven't seen. Uh, they talk about friends that sometimes I'm not sure if they're imaginary or not. Things of that nature. <laughs> but if you genuinely listen to your children, they'll recognize it. And you'll have their ear. Also, you show your child you love them by modeling the gospel in your parenting. Hold out to them a high standard in your household, but even higher grace. And you've heard me talk about this before in parenting. I want to emphasize it again. Because many of you have a high standard for your kids. And let me ask you a question. Why is that? Why in your heart of hearts do you have a high standard for your kids? Is it... Let me challenge you with this question. Is it to make life easier for you? That you know if you do this now, later on, things are going to be easier. Make things more peaceful around the house. Or is it to make life more satisfying for you? If you have a high standard, if they perform well according to that standard, it reflects pretty well on you. There's a sense of self-satisfaction. I'm a pretty good parent. Of course, all the while you're building up a little Pharisee. The reason... The big, ultimate, big picture reason God wants to give high standards, wants us to give high standards for our kids, it's the same reason he gives us high standards through his rules that, that we will discover our need for a rescuer, for a savior. Same thing in our households, that they will discover their need for a rescuer if and when they try to obey rules on their own strength, they will fail. They will fail, and that's the perfect opportunity to demonstrate and tell them about the grace of Jesus, that even though you fail, Jesus' love covers that. He forgives that and makes everything perfect with him again. From a young age, you can begin teaching that, having a high standard, but then even higher grace and communicating that to your child. So I want to exhort you in your parenting to do that, to hold out the gospel in the way that you parent. Lesson number six, Jesus' father expresses his pleasure with him. With you, I am well pleased. Let me just say a couple things here. Number one, make sure you praise your child in front of them and in front of others, especially as they get older. I cannot tell you how rare it is, but how truly awesome it is. Every once in a while, when I catch a glimpse, whether it's at sporting events, some kid's recital or kid's thing going on, every once in a while, I hear a dad say, kind of kneel down and say, look, I'm really so proud of you. You did a really wonderful job. 
Or I, I didn't know you could play like that. Or I didn't know you, you learned that. I didn't even learn that at my age. You're so much further ahead from where I was at your age. I can't tell you how special that is. When I hear that, and if I know that person, I'm going to repeat that to their kid one day. I'm going to say, hey, it hurts your dad said. And he loves you. He cares for you. That's, again, another moment where you guys who are not parents can, can help us as parents reinforce that love and that care, sense of value for that child's life. I want to encourage those of you who are, who are dads of, of girls. Fathers, for every one compliment you give your daughter about their appearance, you should be giving them three compliments about their character. For every one compliment about their appearance, you're beautiful, I love your hair, you're so lovely, you should be giving them three compliments about their character to reinforce the superior value of inner beauty that Peter talks about in 1 Peter 3. It's so tempting for a young woman as she grows up to be, it's about outer beauty, it's about this. As fathers, we have the ability again to speak into her life and say, no, what's so much more beautiful is your inner beauty. Also express pleasure through milestones. I had a dad invite me and other significant men one time to celebrate their son. Their son's 16th birthday. He called it a journey into manhood. And each man who attended this celebration was asked to write a letter of encouragement. And many of those men actually brought their own kids to watch. I sort of wish I brought mine. They were pretty young. But the father took time to praise his son in front of everyone. Then he presented a special gift to his son that would be meaningful. It wasn't necessarily expensive, just meaningful to communicate the value, their value. And that can work for girls as well. At different ages, whether you choose the age of 10, 13, 16, express your pleasure in your child through milestones. Be intentional about it. For Jesus, his baptism was that kind of moment. It was a milestone moment. Not just because I think so, because he said so. He thought so. He leaned upon that memory. The first time Jesus is confronted by hostile people who are bent or told on killing him, Jesus starts to talk about who he is and whose he is. He says that I I alone cannot bear witness about myself. He says there's another who bears witness to me, John the Baptist. And yet he said there's a testimony greater than John's. He says the Father who sent me has himself bore witness about me, John 5.37. What is Jesus remembering in that moment? That moment of hostility, that moment of intense pressure where he's not sure if anyone really cares about him. He's remembering his baptism, isn't he? John's witness, his Father's witness. In this moment where his life is threatened, Jesus recalls being lifted out of the water, the heavens opening, the Holy Spirit descending on him, resting in his Father's smile, delighting under his Father's gaze. There's a, there's a movie called Shall We Dance, 2004 movie that's otherwise pretty unnoteworthy. Rotten Tomatoes gave it like a 46%. Uh, it stars Richard Gere, J-Lo, and Susan Sarandon. And there's this wonderful scene in which uh, Susan Sarandon's character is challenged regarding the value of marriage. She says this, here's what, why marriage is important. We need a witness to our lives. There's a billion people on the planet. What does any one life really mean? But in a marriage, you're promising to care about everything. The good things, the bad things. The terrible things, the mundane things. All of it. All the time, every day. You're saying... Your life will not go unnoticed because I will notice it. Your life will not go unwitnessed because I will witness it. And that's the power, too, of a father. 
We can bear witness to the value of a child's life. We can say, son, daughter, your life will never go unnoticed because I will witness it. Fathers, may we go and do likewise as the Father did to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Heavenly Father, for this example. In a critical moment, in a similar moment, in a milestone moment in Jesus' life, where he felt a kind of pressure to prove himself that you were present. You made your presence known. You made your presence felt. You identified with Jesus. And you do all these things for us too. Thank you for making your presence known, felt, for identifying with us by living among us, for expressing your love for us through giving your only son that you might make for yourself many sons. We thank you that one day you'll express that pleasure in us by saying to us, well done, good and faithful servant. May we, who are dads here today, provide witness to our child's life so that our child wouldn't have to spend their whole lives trying to prove their value, but that we as fathers, as mothers, as spiritual parents may provide a witness to that value and speak over it, demonstrate it in their lives. Help us make our presence known and felt. Help us sacrifice to identify with our child, that they know that we're with them in this, we're partnering with them in this. Give us courage and thoughtfulness to speak up, and may our child live under our watchful smile just as we get to live under your watchful smile. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.